know, here's the deal. Do you know that every organization, an organization, a group of people uh, who come together, let's say, for a stated purpose or objective. Maybe that's just a simple definition of what an organized group of people is. Various people come together uh, for the accomplishment of a certain goal or purpose. Every organization such as that uh, is composed of two types of people. Um, those who lead and those who are the led. That's just the way it is. And so Israel, ancient Israel, was that kind of organization. We're seeing it in the book of Numbers, which, as I mentioned manifold times, is really labeled in the wilderness. In the course of their wilderness wanderings, they were organized. They were an organized people group around a common purpose. And the purpose was movement, not stagnation. Uh, not to sustain the gains. No, 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 no. Always progress, always moving forward. And, and so they were organized around this objective of forward movement until they reached their final destination, which was in their case, their land of promise, you see? And so their organization was made up of these two types of people, leaders and those who were led. Now that sounds really, really good, but it didn't work out really, really well at all. Not because it was a bad idea, but because people are people. Let's just face it. They were the same then as as people are today. And selfish ambition and petty jealousies sometimes creep in. And so God's ordained structure of appointed leaders and then those who follow with the goal of forward movement on our way to our final destination, our land of promise, heaven, sometimes that is really, really disrupted by the basest of human inclinations and motives. And so once again, as we take a look at this ancient text, its purpose is not just history for us. Think of it as a mirror into the way we ought to conduct ourselves rightly here as an organization, a local church with a leader, leaders, and those who are the led. So would you join me in Numbers chapter 16? Numbers chapter 16, that's where we are now, and we'll begin at verse 1. Numbers 16, let's just call this warnings for the leaders and the led. Now I think you'll find some hopefully uh, practical application here. Here's what happens. Now Korah the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. They rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. Four people led an uprising of many other people, Against the two people whom God appointed to lead. So it says this in verse 2. They assembled together against, here are the two of God's duly appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. Here's what they said. You, they said this to the leaders, to Moses and Aaron, you've gone far enough. All the congregation, all of us are holy. Every one of us, we're all special. And the Lord is in our midst. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And so these rebellious ones are right about something. 
and they are dead wrong about something else. You see, it is true that all of God's people have equal standing before him. Each in a covenant bond with him is of equal value and worth. Each has his favor in full measure. He has no favorites in this regard. If you're a son or daughter of God, by your faith in his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus, you do not have lesser or greater status than anyone else who has been redeemed by him. So in this, these ancient rebellious ones were absolutely true. But they're dead wrong in this regard. Though we each have equal standing in the eyes of God, those of us who are redeemed, he has not ordained that each of us will play the same role and perform the same function in the forward movement of the organization which he calls the church on its way to our land of promise. So it is true that God makes absolutely no distinction with regard to the love he has for all of his people. But it is not true that he does not distinguish amongst his people with regard to calling and ordination and equipping and gifting and all the rest. This is a really, really, really rough topic tonight because we Christians perhaps have so embraced the notion that we are all believer priests, uh, all uh, called to serve, all this is true, all who have access to the throne of God through the one mediator, the Lord Jesus, all who can serve and have say and serve in a church. Sometimes I think um, we have embraced that notion to such extent um, uh, that we don't think the leaders uh, of the church are any different. And so sometimes we say, well, I know what your opinion is, God-ordained leader, but this is my opinion. And uh, so sometimes we put our opinions on an equal footing, and that's the spirit of democracy, but I have to tell you, that is not the spirit of, of the Bible, and that is not the way God has organized things. He has an authority and submission paradigm that we hate. We just hate submission to authority. Let's just face it. We have this rebellious bent as well. Shakespeare had one of his characters say, oh, vile submission. It's a vile thing from a worldly point of view, and that has sort of crept into the church. But no, it's a divinely ordained kind of a thing that some, they do not have essential value uh, above anybody else, but they have a distinct function. And for the led to submit to those who are called to lead sometimes is something which just sticks in our throat. We just think, well, I have, well, he's no better than me, and I have, my thoughts are as good as his thoughts, and so on. Well, that's what was happening with these four who led the rebellion, and you're going to kind of see that uh, it didn't go over so big with God here, you see. So, so, so what they did, they missed a bunch of stuff. You know what they missed? They said, you guys have exalted yourself above the rest of us. That's not true, is it? God did this. God said, Moses. God said, Aaron. Moses, do this. Moses said, no, not me. Can't do it. Inadequate. God said, Moses, do this. God said, Aaron, flawed for sure. You remember golden calf and all the rest? God has no perfect Servants, 
uh, we serve him imperfectly, but we serve him nonetheless. He said, Moses, he said, Aaron, you do this, you do this, you lead, you lead. They didn't exalt themselves. They didn't campaign. <laughs> they didn't throw their hat in the ring. They didn't try to get votes. They were appointees by God. So this is a terribly false accusation. Who are you foisting yourself above the, above the rest? Let me tell you something. If you are in a church and you don't have concrete, persuasive evidence that the man at the helm, the pastor, is called and appointed by God, then what are you doing in that church? If you just think, well, I, my opinion is as valid as his when it comes to biblical things, church things, leadership things. If you don't see the mark of God upon that person and evidence of divine calling and ordination and favor, shame on you for being a member of that kind of church. Who's leading then? And so, so over here, it was a terribly false accusation. They didn't exalt themselves. God did. So, uh, what would you do if you were this leader? You're Moses, you know, you're under attack by the people. You're falsely accused of, of, uh, self-aggrandizement. You exalted yourself. You know what I mean? What would you do? I, I'm tempted to do all kinds of stuff. Quit. It's a very tempting thing to do. Um, do you know most pastors today who have short tenures in churches leave, they say, because the church who brought them on board won't let them lead? They'll let them preach, but they won't let them lead, you see. So that's a real rough thing for a person who's called to lead and, and the congregation says, no, we'll vote on this, we'll vote on that. Well, one time I was in a church and, uh, um, I had a group of people who know what they're doing take a lot of time, look over our printing stuff because it was quite expensive. We were trying to save money. Just do some due diligence. Shop it. basically what we did. We took several months. We did our due diligence. We contracted with a new vendor and saved the church uh, many thousands of dollars in one year. One time I was hanging around in the foyer of the church, and I heard a conversation between two ladies, and one said to the other, that's a new machine, isn't it? I don't remember voting on it. See, so she would reduce, she would reduce her pastor, uh, who, who came to lead. <laughs> she would reduce him to the necessity of having to call a congregational meeting to vote on, re- on replacing the copy machine? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? So, 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 you know, there's equal value and so on and so forth. But good night. If a church is paying a minister's salary and doesn't think that that minister has anything special to offer, then that's a very foolish group of people. What are you paying his salary for? If you can do it, you do it. You can do it as good as... uh, Sorry, but uh, I'm just... uh, Consider it therapy for me. No, 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 no. I'm just, it's a text. I'm trying to tell you. So look what Moses did. No, he didn't quit. He didn't do anything like that. He didn't scream at the people. Look what he did. Verse 4. When Moses heard this, he fell on his face. Ah, that's the mark of a God-called leader, don't you think? 
He didn't give the people a piece of his mind and nothing like no ultimatum. He knew he was called of God. You you can't you you don't have the option to bail out if you're called. And so he fell on his head. And by the way, this is not the first time he did this. We read about in verse in chapter 14. It's as if Moses cultivated the habit of doing this kind of thing. And you know. Uh, a godly leader has to do this, has to cultivate the habit of running to God. And he did so unashamedly, didn't he? Right in, right in full vision of the people. A godly leader is, can just simply run into certain things that are so overwhelming and so humanly unresolvable. He just has to fall on his face before God. It's a habit that has to be cultivated. And this habit... Uh, of falling on one's knees before God has to be done. Otherwise, a leader will just fall. They do all the time, you know what I mean? So so Moses Mo, Moses did that. In verse 5, he spoke to Korah and all the company. Here's what he said. Tomorrow, the Lord is going to show who is his and who's holy and, and will bring him near to himself, even the one whom he'll choose. He'll bring near to himself. So Moses was essentially saying, tomorrow something's going to happen. God will um, make clear who his duly appointed leader is. You know what Moses is doing? It's not selfish ambition. He's doing what every leader needs to do and needs. Every leader needs to call out to God and say, oh, God, there's nothing special about me. But if you called me to this very uh, honorable, privileged, respectable, special task, you have got to put your favor upon me. So that the people could see it and follow. You see it? That's not a selfish thing for a leader to pray. A leader has to say, oh God, would you give victories to us? So the people could see your hand of blessing upon our church and in particular upon my leadership. Lord, I'm not leading them astray, as you know. I'm not leading them to me. I'm leading them to you. Forward movement down the road. No, God, I'm certain. I've heard from you about how to do it. But, oh, God, if you don't show me your favor in front of them, then what right do I have to ask them to follow me? Oh, God, it's not about me. If you've appointed me to the position, you have got to persuade the people that I'm a duly appointed leader whom they can trust. So, oh, God, you've got to put your hand of blessing upon me. And that was essentially what Moses was saying. He's saying, let's determine tomorrow whom God will draw near. That is the one who his appointed is his appointed leader. So I want to ask you a question. Um. Have you run into a leader like this of late upon whose life you see the hand of God? I didn't say perfection. Oh, I said something better. You've seen divine supply, divine favor, divine initiative. Have you run into a leader like this of late um, who, under whose leadership you have been blessed in manifold ways? Would you like to shout out a sample name? I'm just curious. Somebody said Morgan. We refer to him as Pastor Morgan around here, but go ahead. Uh, yes. Now, Brother John, you will forgive me, but we're going to embarrass you for the next few moments. And that's just the way it is. I have job security because I got a long way to go through numbers. So, but I, as I was studying the text, I was just saying, oh, God, my pastor is like that. My, listen, 
I called my mother the other day. She's 95 years old. I called. I said, hey, mom. And that's it. That's the only thing I got to say. Because though 95, she still is a Jewish mother, and she can surely monopolize the conversation. So anyway, we're talking. If you were to say to me, Stuart, is your mother the best mother in the world? I would say to you, I don't know how to answer that question because I don't think in that category. She's my mother. (laughs) I don't think about best, second best, third best. I don't compare my mother to somebody else. I don't grade my mother. I don't evaluate my mother. She's my mother. You know what's good? Is your pastor the best in the world? I mean, what kind of question? He doesn't have to be. That's not the point. He's our pastor. You don't compare. You don't evaluate. You don't... Is Sagemont Church the best church in the world? I don't know if it is or not. That's not the point. Is it your church? Don't you see? You want to get to the point. Ask God to do this. If not here, somewhere else. Where you have this my pastor concept. My church concept. Where it doesn't matter. The church doesn't have to be perfect. The pastor doesn't have to be perfect. That's not the deal. You just know I'm connected. There's like ownership. We are Family. Then it becomes different than like a meeting. You know what I mean? Then it becomes, no, we're an organization around the common purpose of getting down the road together, glorifying God all the way until we enter into our land of promise. Now, folks, sometimes people say, well, I don't agree about with the pastor about this or about that. That is great. That is really healthy. That's not the point. And the measure of a godly pastor is not that you agree with everything or that he be perfect. That's not the deal. It's do you see evidence of God's call upon the man's life? Do you see it in longevity? Do you see it in faithfulness? Do you see it in consistent uh, presentation of biblical truth? Do you see it in uh, evidence of a pastor's heart? For those who rejoice, he rejoices. For those who weep, he weeps. Do you see it in devotion? Do you see it in commitment? Do you see trustworthiness in his response to family members? What? What do you see? Do you see patience? Do you see love? Do you see perseverance through thick and thin? Do you see a forbearing spirit so that sometimes you give the pastor a piece of your mind, but he doesn't give you his back? He just listens and thanks God he's not married to you. So, so, so here's what I want to do. We have that pastor. And that's why this church for 45... You see, June 5th is not just the 45th anniversary of a building. of a, It's the 45th anniversary of our pastor's and his wife's tenure here at Sagemont Church. And I get to go around to different churches because our church allows me to. I don't compare. That's not the point. You want every church to do well. But I can't wait to come back to our church. It's not a matter of better. I don't want to do that. 
this is home. And it's a home atmosphere because the pastor has created a settled, stable, safe environment for every one of us, warts and all, over decades, folks, not to be taken lightly. The most valuable asset of Sagemont Church, it's not, it's physical plant. It's our leader. It starts from the top. So here's what I want to do. You have received, uh, some have received a number of these cards. Can you stand up now and help me? These are just little blank, little blank cards. And I would like everyone to get one. And see, these wonderful volunteers are going to make sure you get them now. And we're, we're not all that organized, but don't worry about it. We have time here. Just take your time. And then uh, don't forget the folks in the attic. There, there's some folks up, up, <laughs> up there in the cheap seats. So, <laughs> so we want to get you these. Here's what I'd like you to do. I have a few more things to say. But while I'm doing it, I would like you to write a note. Dear Pastor, dear Brother John, whatever, however you refer to our pastor, uh, just say, um, this is how I have been blessed under your leadership. I just want you to do that. This is how I've been blessed. If you have not seen evidence of blessing through the pastor of this church, why are you in it? I don't get it. It just doesn't make any sense. So, 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 so what is it? Uh, dear Brother John, I have been blessed under your ministry in the following way. It's your own words. You know what I mean? Here's what we're going to do. Just take your time. Before we leave tonight, I'd like you to just deposit this anywhere up here. We'll collect them. Or you can put it in the offering boxes as well. And we'll collect them. And we'll just put a rubber band around it. And we'll simply give it to our pastor. And he could do with it what he wants. My guess is he and Mrs. Morgan will read it. And they might weep. And they might say, oh, God, thank you for such a good flock. We do not have the problems that are addressed here in Numbers 16. We don't have it. We have a great leader, and he has great followers. It goes together. So so the reason for the text is a little preventive work. (laughs) As we near a new building, we are to be the building. And so we want to make sure the evil one doesn't get an opportunity, you know, selfish ambition and all the rest. So please fill those out as you see fit and... Make sure you leave it with you before we take leave of one another tonight. So uh, I'm going to pick up the pace here a little bit. Verse 6, Moses said, take censers for yourselves. A censer is a metal container in which incense was put to be ignited and used by priests in worship. Moses said, do this, put fire in it, put incense upon it. Bring it to to the presence of the Lord tomorrow. And the one whom God chooses shall be the one who's holy. You've you've gone far enough, you sons of Levi. And I want to show you something. A leader must cultivate the noticeable habit of dependence on God. We saw it earlier. Moses fell down. But wait a second. There are times when the leader must also confront the wrongdoing of his people. And that's essentially what's happening here. Moses said, you have gone far enough. There's a time. So it's a balance there. And it's very difficult to strike it. A leader needs wisdom. Sometimes the leader does not defend himself, simply falls on his face before God. Sometimes uh, the leader has to take a stand. It has to put in check 
wrongdoing uh, within his flock for the sake of the body. So that's essentially what Moses is saying here. You've gone far enough. Notice what he says, you sons of Levi. You know what he did that for? The ones on the attack were Levitical tribesmen, but they were not priests. There's a difference between priests and Levites. Apparently, these Levites were not satisfied with what God called them to do. See, selfish ambition. They wanted to be a priest or a leader like Moses or like Aaron. So Moses finally says he didn't lose his temper. No, for the sake of the harmony within the body, he says, you've gone far enough. And he reminds them of the bounds of responsibility, which God has bequeathed to them. God has told you how you are to serve in the body, not as Aaron, the high priest, not as me, the leader, Moses. You are sons of Levi. You have gone far enough. And then it says in verse 8, Moses said to Korah, Here now, you sons of Levi, is it not enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the congregation to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle. Is it not enough? It's a very haunting question I put to myself. Could I encourage you to put it to yourself? The next time you're getting a little filled with discontent, somebody has promoted, been promoted to an area of service in a church you haven't, somebody is doing this, somebody is doing that, then, and, and I do this too. I'm not preaching to anybody. We want to say, isn't it enough? Oh, God, isn't enough, it enough that you separated me from the world and called me out of it and into your forever family? Isn't it enough that I'm a child of the king? Isn't it enough, Lord Jesus, that you've given me an opportunity to serve in a local church in accordance with my own limitations and bounds and gifts which are entirely different from others. Oh, God, isn't it enough that you have given me the opportunity of making a deposit, a contribution in the local fellowship of believers, albeit different than others, maybe not as high on the organizational chart, but, oh, God, isn't it enough that I'm part of that family, you see? So that's the question Moses puts to these rebellious ones, and we ought to do it by way of self-examination enough. Why did that person get this? Why did that person get that? Sometimes selfish ambition rears its, its ugly it's, it's ugly head. So ask that question. Anyway, verse 11. Therefore you, all your company, are gathered against the Lord. You see, when you confront God's duly appointed um, organizational pattern for a local body, you're actually not going against the personages in the lead. Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. If you go against God's duly appointed organizational pattern for a local church, this is so serious, you're really going against the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. And so it says, but as for Aaron, who is he that you grumble against him? You see, they made it look like an assault on Aaron, but Moses translated it rightly, no, it was an assault on the sovereignty of God who appointed Aaron to the position. So Moses, verse 12, sends a summons 
to Dathan and Abiram and these folks. They said, we're not coming. <laughs> the leader calls for a meeting and they say, no way. They say, look what they say. Isn't it enough that you, this is what they say to the leader. You brought us up out of the, a land flowing with milk and honey. You know what they're referring to? Egypt. Isn't this crazy? They were slaves in Egypt. Now, these folks are accusing the leader of taking them out of a good place. You, you brought us out of the land flowing with milk and honey to have us die in the wilderness. And would you lord it over us? Indeed, you have not brought us into a land flowing with milk and honey. You didn't get us into the promised land. You haven't given us an inheritance of fields and vineyards. Would you put out the eyes of these men? We're not going to come up. So here's what they do. It's unbelievable to me. It's human nature. Um, they're applying a secular standard of success to the leader who must lead spiritually. So this, by a secular standard of success, this leader failed. You didn't get us into the promised land. We're stuck here in the wilderness. Of course, they forgot that they are because of their own sin. They blamed it on the leader. Nonetheless, they're saying, here's essentially what they're saying. I don't see the numbers. I don't see the budget. In the old days, we used to say, what are you running in Sunday school? You're not running as much in Sunday schools. The last guy did. How many baptisms? How many? I'm not saying these things are unimportant, but you know, these are really secular standards of success. Could I tell you the mark of a godly leader? He listens to and follows God. He tells the congregation what he's heard and the congregation follows. And we leave the results to God. Today, church people put enormous pressure on their pastor. Because they want him to be a leader like IBM, profit margin. That's not the way it works. Moses didn't back off from the promised land. God told Moses, back off from the promised land. The people are not ready for it yet. Back into the wilderness. You know what Moses did? He said, yes, Lord, I shall. So what you want (laughs) is a leader who hears from God. And does what God says. And all this other stuff. I've got to tell you, the standards of success we judge pastors by today. The Bible speaks of faithfulness much more than it does success, as in a worldly sense. Do you have a faithful leader? Faithful to seek God, to fall on his face before him, to apply the word of God, no matter what the cost. Do you have a a leader faithful to care for and shepherd the flock? Then you get out of the way and you leave the results. You don't, you don't, you, you don't, you don't evaluate the life of a person on the basis of the bottom line. That's IBM. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. Just doesn't work that way. If God wants to bless numerically in different ways, wonderful. We're asking him to. We're asking him to. But he may say, no, I need you to stay in the wilderness before you move forward. I don't know why God does what he does. But if that's what he tells the leader, that's what we ought to do. So, folks, a lot of pressure being put on pastors today. Oh, my goodness. Make it grow. Make it fill. Make it blah, 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 blah. You know. What are the members doing? Don't want to hurt anybody's feelings too much. 
But the buck stops with the, with, with, with the member. So anyway, uh, they put enormous pressure on Moses. So Moses gets angry, verse 15, says to the Lord, don't regard their offering. He's probably referring to the offering of incense they're going to make tomorrow morning. He says, don't do it. And then he says to God, I haven't taken a single donkey from them, nor have I done any harm to any of them. Look at this. Unbelievable. A godly leader is not someone who's devoid of emotion. He's just a human, right? He's got flesh and blood, right? And sometimes the God-given emotions need to come out. Sometimes they're permissible. They need to come out. However, the godly leader can never, ever use the congregation to meet his own emotional needs. Big difference. If a leader has unmet emotional needs, he may not be suitable as a leader at that particular time. Doesn't mean he's a bad guy or a gal. But you cannot exploit the congregation. and You cannot use them to get your emotional needs met. Doesn't work that way. You can share your emotional experience, but you, but, 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 but you can't, you can't use the congregation for your own therapy. Let me put it that way. And then the second thing the leader has to be able to do, the leader can honestly express his hurt heart to God and even his anger, but the leader has to pray out of his integrity. I, I love these words. I have not taken and I have not done harm. If you have a leader like that, I have not taken, I haven't exploited them for personal gain, and I have not done them harm. If you have a leader like that, that's the leader you ought to follow. What if you don't agree with every decision? Who cares? Do you agree with the heart of the man? So, 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 so it, 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 it doesn't really matter what you think about individual decisions. To me, it doesn't matter. To me, it matters. It matters. God, do, 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 do I have a pastor who's not in this thing to exploit me? To harm me? Has he harmed me? Has he harmed you? What's the deal? Is he trying to elevate himself off the sweat of our back? No. That's the leader. Fit to follow. I mean, I gotta tell you something. They don't grow on trees. They don't, sadly, they don't, they don't grow on trees. Well, anyway, uh, the Lord, uh, speaks to Moses in verse 20 and he says, separate from these people and, uh, cause I'm gonna consume them instantly. And you know what the leader says to God? Verse 22. Oh God. God of the spirits of all flesh. When one man sins, will you be angry with the entire congregation? Wow. Once again, Moses says, no, God, if you destroy them, it will not redound to your glory. It won't be good. People will say you failed in your ability to bring these people across the finish line. Herein is another mark of true biblical godly leadership. When the leader is more concerned about the glory of God and the good of the people than his own status and feelings. Very, 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 very important here. So God instructs Moses to tell the congregation to get away from the dwellings of these people. And uh, Moses said, if these men die the death of all men, or verse 29, suffer the fate of all, the Lord hasn't sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, it's evidence that he has selected me. Well, folks, I'm picking up the page. The ground opened up. Did you know this? Oh, my goodness. Verse 31, as he finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split open. Earth opened its mouth, swallowed them up. 
all the men who belonged and their position. Fire, verse 35, also came forth from the Lord, summoned the 250 men. Goodness gracious. That is not typical. Not everything in the Bible is typical. It's exceptional. On a few occasions, God immediately and strikingly judged wrongdoing. Why? For the benefit of future generations. Like who? Us. I close with this. Ephesians 4. Let me just read this. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How? With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you were all called and one hope of your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists. And some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints that we might do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. I can't tell you how relevant I think this is in light of where we are as a church. We're thinking of this building to house us. No, that building is housing the building. (laughs) That's what you understand. That building just how, where the building that is supposed to be built up to the body of Christ. And whenever a local church is on the verge of a sensational visitation by Almighty God, you better know the evil one moves in to disrupt things. Hurt feelings, offenses, selfish ambition, pride, the whole deal. We're all subject to it. And so this text is a wonderful, wonderful exhortation about how together everyone is supposed to contribute to the well-being of the body, to the building up of the body of Christ. And we do it according to our unique personalities and callings and gifts. And we don't compare what one is doing, what one is, uh, how one is positioned, how another is positioned. We, we, we get under the banner God has for us. And we just say, oh, God, is it is enough that you included me in the forever family. And then I'm I'm in the march with this marvelous parade of people who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ moving forward until we cross the line into our promised land. I fear not monetary things because the track record of our church under the leadership of our pastor is that God will provide. I fear fleshly things that we'll just... Uh, Maybe give in to the enemy's temptation to disrupt and divide us. Maybe I like this service. I don't like that service. I don't, please don't misunderstand. I don't want to minimize the legitimate, the legitimacy of tastes and preferences. But then I can't get away from with all humility, show tolerance, preserve the unity of the spirit, bond of peace. And it may mean, oh boy. That is not my preference. So what? So what? Isn't it enough 
that you showed preference to me. Don't you see? This is very, this is a call to real radical, radical, radical disciples. Why would Almighty God provide what we need to be housed in a building if we're not intent on being the building built up unto the Lord Jesus Christ? So Lord Jesus, head of the church, you do all things well. We, not so much. But it's very marvelous that you work your plan through us nonetheless. In accordance with your sovereign will. Thank you for the structure of the church worldwide. We're not trying to change it nor improve upon it. It's really, really, really good. Thank you for the gifts bestowed, the offices to be occupied. And oh God, we just praise you for making wise decisions about who it is who is to occupy them. Thank you, oh God, for showing our pastor favor for our benefit. So that it isn't a blind leap from logic to faith to get behind him. No way. Oh God, it's just a privilege and a pleasure to see how you've used a mere human vessel to bless thousands and thousands and thousands over 45 wonderful years. Oh God, we're grateful. And Lord, we, 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 we. We're going to be good people. (laughs) We're not going to buck the system, your system. We're not going to elevate ourselves beyond what you've called us to be. We just want to watch how if we do things your way, you will pour out your blessings from on high. We want this, oh God, not just for Sagemont Church. We want to be as a corporate body, not just as individuals, living proof of a loving God for a truly watching world. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.